0: Morning everyone, Uh, my name is Johannes, one of the elders in the church. Um, You won't see me up here too often, I think the last time I preached was a year ago, but um, yeah, it's a real privilege to be up here today and to share God's word with you. Um, So we're going to be looking this morning, we are in a series now on flourishing, um, so we continue this series on flourishing, um, and today I'm going to be speaking on vocational flourishing, so how do we flourish in our workplace or in our work? Um, And it's been amazing to me as we've been going through this flourishing series just how there's been such a common thread um, through all the preachers and all all the sermons. And, you know, I think it's really just that flourishing in any area of our life can really only come as we are in submission to Jesus and as we are in relationship with Jesus. That's really the only place where we can find flourishing in life. So as we look at vocational flourishing, I'm going to dive right in. And I just want to start with just at a really high conceptual level, just looking at what does the Bible say about uh, work? Just on a conceptual level, what does the Bible say about about work? And let's dive right back all the way into Genesis, right at the beginning, um, with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Um, And when we look back to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, this was before sin came into the world. So Adam and Eve were in perfect relationship with God. The world was perfect. There was no sin Uh, And let's see what God, let's see in Genesis 2 verse 15 what it says there. It says the Lord took man and put him in the garden of Eden to work and to take care of it. So right at the beginning of creation, when the world was still perfect, when there was no sin, we can see here that God put Adam and Eve in the garden of Eden to work the garden. So we can see that work is a good thing. It's a beautiful thing that's ordained by God, and it's something Yeah, it's a really beautiful, good thing. But we see then um, that when Adam and Eve sinned uh, and sin came into the world, we we, we refer to this as the fall, Uh, we see that as a result of sin coming into the world that God brought a particular curse amongst others uh, 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 upon work. So if we read here in Genesis 3 verse 17, it says, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat food until you return to the ground. So we see here that as a result of um, sin coming into the world that there was a particular curse that was brought upon uh, work uh, work itself. Um, And just there's an immediate application here for us that um, as Christians today, we're not exempt from this, that we too will eat um, from toil and from, and from sweat. And we shouldn't be surprised um, when, we res- when we experience headwinds in our work. Um, so not too many of us here are farmers and not too many of us here have to deal with thorns and thistles. Um, but whatever your work is, you shouldn't be surprised if you encounter difficulties Um, If you're a businessman markets might crash. Uh, If you're a teacher, you've got to deal with uh, maybe difficult uh, students and difficult parents. Um, Input costs increase, equipment breaks down. Uh, We might be dealing with conflict with um, colleagues or we might be dealing with employees that aren't always doing what we ask of them. Um, So don't be surprised when you find or experience these these difficulties in your working environment Um, because God has ordained that after the fall that we will live by the sweat of our brow and that we will live by painful toil. Um, But the story doesn't end there, so I'm not going to be too depressing. There is some good news as well. Um, But um, we see then as well as we move to the end of this age, um, at the end of this age, God is going to, um, after judgment, he is going to create a new earth. And that new earth will be perfectly restored again. In that new earth, we're going to be in perfect relationship with God. Um, And let's read here in Revelation 22 uh, uh, from verse 3 to 5 what it says about the new earth. It says, No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night, there will be no more need for the light of the lamp um, or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. So we see an eternity when we, those of us who believe in Christ and have put our hope in Christ, that we are going to spend eternity with him in the new earth. And that new earth is going to be perfect, there's going to be no sickness, there's going to be no pain, Um, We're going to be in just beautiful, our relationship with God will be restored completely without that uh, encumbrance of sin that we experience now. And in that eternity, in this verse here, there's a hint of the fact that in eternity with God we are going to be working. We see here the two aspects, his servants will serve him and they will reign with him forever and ever. So I think there's a bit of a hint here as to the work that we're going to be doing in eternity with God, that we will be serving God and that we will be reigning with him forever and ever. So in eternity, work will again be restored to this beautiful, perfect um, act uh, of service to God. Um, And I must say, it's difficult in this fallen world to imagine what work would look like without sin. It's quite hard to imagine what is this perfect work that God has ordained for all of us to do, you know, what could that look like without sin? Because our world is so uh, marred by sin, it's really hard to imagine what, what that'll look like. Um, so yeah, we can't escape the fact that we will live by the sweat of our brow. We can't <clears throat> expect the fact that by painful toil, we will put food on the table. But we can still, as we work in obedience to God, we can still find a great measure of victory in our work. And I really want to just today um, just share maybe some thoughts as to what does that look like? What does is, what is a work life in obedience to Christ look like? Um, and how can we um, flourish in our workplace as we are obedient to Christ? So I want to start by just um, taking us back to Paul's sermon two weeks ago. So as we've been uh, preaching or speaking about flourishing, two weeks ago Paul spoke about spiritual flourishing. And these three points, Paul had three main points talking about spiritual flourishing. And I believe that these three points are equally applicable to our work life. Um, Like I said, for me, there's a beautiful thread as we go through this flourishing series. So Paul was talking about three keys to spiritual flourishing. Prioritize God's priorities, prioritize God's presence, and prioritize eternity over the present. So like I said, I believe these points are equally applicable to us as we flourish in, the work, in our work life. So what I want to do this morning is I just want to unpack that a little bit practically to say, well, how can we prioritize God's priorities and the eternal over the present and his presence in our work life? So just repackage it in that context. So as I am uh, preaching this morning, I'm going to be bringing quite a bit of biblical application, but to a large degree, I'm actually going to be sharing a lot of my testimony around my, my own work life. Uh, so my career up until today spans 28 years, and I just want to share some of what God's done in me through the years, and not because I have reached work nirvana and I've got it all figured out. So a lot of what I want to share with you is really big mistakes that I've made. And I think, like for many of us, um, our biggest lessons are often learned through our biggest mistakes. So a lot of what I'm going to share with you is just uh, you know, mistakes that I've made and lessons that I've learned Um, But also, as I've been preparing this sermon, I've really been convicted myself um, of just, there's so many areas that I'm continuously, that God needs to be working in me, in in and through my work. So really, as I stand here and and share with you guys, I feel I'm standing with you in this, and I'm very much on the same journey. So, you know, we're really walking side by side uh, in this journey. And then throughout the preach, I'm also going to be Quoting uh, quite frequently from um, a book by a, a gentleman called Watchman Nee, uh, the book is called *The Normal Christian Life*. Um, Watchman Nee was a Chinese pastor uh, in the 30s and 40s, um, and um, he, yeah, he spent the last 20 years of his life in a prison camp in China. Um, he actually died in that prison camp in 1972. Um, but yeah, it's a really powerful book. It's a short book, I can highly recommend it, um, but it is quite a meaty book. It's not like a light, easy read. You've really got like got to engage your mind when you read it, but really a beautiful book. So throughout The Preacher, I'm gonna be quoting quite frequently from that book. I just feel it's got a lot of, uh, just a lot to say in this context. Um, so just to kick off, just in terms of my testimony, just sharing in terms of the first aspect of my testimony, um, I came to faith um, really quite young, probably like, well, I grew up, I was privileged to grow up in a Christian home, um, and already I think it was about the age of six when, uh, with my parents, I accepted uh, Christ. So growing up as a Christian, um, but particularly in my teenage years and early 20s, um, I really had a strong sense that I wanted to live a life of purpose for God. Um, You know, I really... I think, realized how it's so easy to waste your life and just go through the motions and actually end up living a purposeless life. Um, So I really felt um, called to live a life of purpose. Um, And as a result, I expected that God was probably going to take me into full-time ministry. Um, So I studied agriculture and I thought that maybe my skills that I learned in agriculture would be useful maybe in the mission world. So, I probably saw myself becoming a missionary in Africa, somewhere in deep in the jungle to some lost tribe. Um, so, that was really my expectation that I'd go into full time Christian work. Uh, but surprisingly, God took me into business. Um, and over the years, every time in my career when I've come to a sort of junction in my career, um, you know, I've always come back to God and, and, and really earnestly been seeking and saying, God, you know, do you want to take me into full time ministry? But Um, yeah interestingly God's kept me in business Um, so just in terms of the start of my my testimony um, right let me just find myself Yeah. so let me just read here Um, there's uh, just from Watchman Nee's book Um, he says then to what are we to be consecrated not to Christian work but to the will of God to be and to do whatever he wants David had many mighty men. Some were generals, others were gatekeepers, according as the king assigned them to their task. We must be willing to be either generals or gatekeepers, allotted to our parts just as God wills and not as we choose. I do not consecrate myself to be a missionary or a preacher. I consecrate myself to God to do his will where I am, be it in school, office, or kitchen, counting whatever he ordains for me to be the very best. For nothing but good can come to those who are wholly his. So really what um, I think is important for us here is that for those of us who are in the workplace, who aren't full-time Christian workers, we are no less full-time Christian workers than a preacher or a missionary. Um, So really in our workplaces we are to be preachers and missionaries in that environment. That's really our calling Um, And today as I preach, I just want to unpack a little bit of what does that look like and let's get practical and just say, well, what does it mean to be uh, every bit as much a preacher and a missionary and a full-time Christian worker but in in our workplaces? Um, So to start with, I want to take us back to um, Paul's sermon on spiritual flourishing. And the first big idea I want to put down here is really a combination of two of Paul's points from his spiritual flourishing And that is if we want to, in our working life, if we want to glorify God, if we want to be every bit as much a missionary in our workplace as as a preacher or a missionary would, we need to prioritize God's priorities and prioritize eternity over the present. Um, I want to read for us Matthew 6, verse 19 uh, to 21. Um, One of my favorite verses in the Bible for, for many years. Do not store up for uh, yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So we can see here that... um, We are not here to store up earthly treasures. So when we look at work and we look at what is the purpose of our work, it is certainly not to store up earthly treasures. Um, So God is calling us in our workplaces to store up eternal treasures. Um, And I think if we look, I think for all of us, there's often a tendency to take our lives and kind of divide our lives into what we consider to be the secular and what we consider to be spiritual and it's often like we, we, we think of it, whether it's conscious or subconscious, we kind of think of our Monday to Friday, uh, sorry, our Monday to Friday, our working world, we kind of think as secular, and then we kind of think as, you know, Sunday, maybe life group, maybe, you know, if I'm you know having my quiet time, that's spiritual, and we kind of separate those two. Um, but there's no such divide. Um, so really, our whole life is spiritual. Every single aspect of our life is spiritual. And especially as we talk about flourishing, we've been looking at, in these different aspects of our lives, how do we flourish in every aspect? And really, every aspect of our life is fully under God's lordship. And to flourish, we will only find flourishing in every aspect of our life uh, as, as we seek to be obedient in, those, in that aspect of our life and as we seek to honor God. Um, so yeah, we are here to store up eternal treasures um, Watchman Nee says, the difference between victorious Christians and defeated ones is not that some have the spirit while others have not, but that some know his indwelling and others do not, and that consequently, some recognize the divine ownership of their lives while others are still their own masters. A day must come in our lives as definite as the day of our conversion, when we give up all right to ourselves and submit to the absolute lordship of Jesus Christ. There must be a day when without reservation, we surrender every, everything to him, ourselves, our families, our possessions, our businesses, and our time. So we need to do away with this kind of secular spiritual divide where we see our Monday to Friday as something separate from our walk with the Lord and and our spiritual life, the two are completely integrated and we need to take our work life and put it completely under the Lordship of Christ. We need to take our work life and we need to really look at God. What does it mean for me in my workspace to store up eternal treasures, to store up treasures in heaven? Matthew 6 verse 19. Um, I've been in Matthew for the last couple of weeks uh, in my morning devotional times Um, And last week, um, I was reading Matthew chapter 6. And Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 says, No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Um, So sorry, just to give you the context here. um, So Jesus' disciples had asked Jesus a question, um, and they had said to Jesus, Why is it that um, the Pharisees fast and John's disciples fast, um, but we as your disciples don't fast? Um, So this was part of Jesus' answer to that question. So he spoke here about you don't take uh, a new cloth and and, uh, sew it onto an old garment. And he also spoke about not taking new wine and putting it into an old wineskin. And in that context, what Jesus was talking about um, is if you look at the Pharisees and the Jewish establishment of the day, what Jesus was saying is that you can't take the gospel of Jesus and sew that like a patch onto Judaism. Um, it'll tear away and and it says the garment would be worse than before you put the patch on. So you couldn't just take Christianity or the gospel of Jesus and sew it onto Judaism. The whole of Judaism had to be completely overhauled by Jesus and the message of the gospel. And as I was reading this last week, um, I really felt that the message for me as well was in the same way, we can't take the gospel and just sew it like a patch onto our life. Um, And I think often that's kind of how we live, you know, we try and take it and just take the gospel and put it like a little add-on to our life. And I think this message is is equally true here, it says that the patch will pull away making the tear worse. Um, You know, you can't just take Jesus and put him as a little uh, addendum onto your life, our entire life needs to be completely transformed by the gospel. and I think, likewise, in our in our work life, our entire work life needs to be transformed by the gospel. Um, so, yeah, I just want to share again, in terms of personal testimony, um, a time in my life when this was brought home to me. Like I said, most of, probably like most of you, our biggest lessons are learned from our mistakes. Um, and it was about 16 years ago. I was in my mid 30s. Um, Ali and I were um, in Zimbabwe at the time. I was working for a big agribusiness in Zimbabwe. Um, it was, I guess, well it was, it was the industry leader in the industry that we were in. At, at peak, the business that I was working in was employing 9,000 people. Uh, we were export, uh, an export based business, exporting mainly to the UK, to the big retailers there, Tesco's and the like, also quite a bit to South Africa to Willy's. Um, so, yeah, it was a really big successful business. Um, But because of the political turmoil in Zimbabwe, um, the business environment became very, very hostile and difficult. I think probably for everyone, but maybe even more so in agriculture with the farm invasions and the violence in the farm environment. Um, So anyway, the long and the short of it, that with the difficulties in the business environment, it, it ultimately brought the business to its knees. And got to a point where I resigned, um, and Ellie and I decided. In fact, we we never had plans to leave Zimbabwe, but um, God does interesting things in our lives and brings interesting curveballs. And yeah, we got to a point where we kind of just felt we didn't, yeah, we we decided to immigrate um, and come to South Africa. And um, as I was praying about this move to South Africa, Well, let me maybe start here before I uh, talk about praying about this move. Um, I really felt that I was in a place in my career where I was in a good space. I felt I'd kind of done the hard yards, I'd paid my school fees, I felt I had got a lot of really good experience, and I really felt that I was in a place in my career where my career was like ready to launch to the next level. Um, So as we came to South Africa, um, yeah, I kind of felt I was ready for the big leagues, and uh, decided that um, I wanted to get a job in South Africa, hitting up a business, running up a business here. Um, And as I was praying to the Lord at the time about this move, I just really felt I wasn't hearing anything. It just kind of felt like God was really quiet. Um, And only in retrospect, I realized that I wasn't actually praying to God and asking him what his will was for my life. I decided that this is what I was gonna do. It was kind of like a prideful, just selfish choice you know, God, I'm ready for the big leagues now. I'm going to launch my career. Uh, And really what I was asking God to do was just to rubber stamp my decision. Um, So I guess it's no surprise that uh, God was quiet. But, um, yeah, it's, so, yeah, I got a position heading up uh, quite a sizable business up north in South Africa. Uh, Three farms, uh, I don't know, three, four hundred probably 400 employees, quite a big business, dedicated supplier to Woolworths. Uh, What I didn't know when I took on the job is that the business was already in deep financial trouble. Uh, And what I also didn't know when I took on the job is that uh, quite a big contingent within the senior management had quite a big theft racket going. Anyway, so I just walked into like a a complete mess in a business sense. Um, And it was after about two months that I realized that the troubles that the business had were far beyond my ability to fix. Um, So after, geez, it was about just three months, um, I resigned. Um, And I have to say, it was an incredibly difficult time. I mean, immigrating in and of itself was far more difficult than we expected. Uh, At the time, we had two young children. Um, So just immigrating, you know, coming to live in a somewhat foreign country. Uh, I promise you, Brits is quite a foreign country. Um, So, just living in a foreign country, but also then just having these, you know, in the work context, it was just incredibly, incredibly challenging and difficult. Um, Yeah, I mean, once I discovered this theft racket, um, two-thirds of the senior management team, they actually resigned immediately, and I had to kind of try and pick up the slack of everyone i mean i was working seven days a week 14 hours a day it was just super intense anyway um it was just a very trying time um but after i resigned as i was then praying for what god had for me next my ears were really open um you know god had really brought me to my knees and opened my ears and as i was praying i was like really earnestly saying god i don't want to go wherever you go you know lord you know, please, will you go before me, and I really want to be in your will and honoring you?" So it really opened my ears. Um, there's a quote here by Watchman Nee um, from "The Normal Christian Life," which I think is so relevant. He says, "God must bring us to a point. I cannot tell you how it will be, but he will do it, where through a deep and dark experience, our natural power is touched and fundamentally weakened, so that we no longer dare trust ourselves. He has to deal with some of us very harshly and take us through difficult and painful ways in order to get us there. So I think this was very much my experience, and I'm sure that many of you have gone through similar experiences. It's amazing, amazing how often God has to use hardship in our life uh, to open our ears. Um, and I think often it's probably just, certainly in my case, just because we're so stubborn and so hard of hearing. Uh, but definitely hardship does open our ears. Um, and in this time, after I'd resigned, um, yeah, I was, I was really spending a lot of time in God's word and really seeking, seeking God. Um, at that time, I read, um, amongst others, I read Psalm 23. And I just want to read a, sh- a short bit here, three verses from Psalm 23. It says, The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures, And he leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. And as I was reading this psalm and meditating on it, um, I just started sort of picturing a a, a visual picture of of what Psalm 23 is talking about. Um, You've got this beautiful, beautiful stream uh, with these Shady trees, this beautiful sunlight. So this is what I drew in my devotional book. So you're going to have to use some of your imagination because my artistic skills aren't so good. Use your imagination. But in my mind's eye, that meadow at the bottom there was just this lush, thick green grass. Um, Just this beautiful, quiet stream. Um, And the sunlight there, as I was meditating on this psalm, I just felt it was almost like God's love. Like the sunlight was just God's love shining down on me. And this was just the sense as I meditated on Psalm 23 of, of what I felt or what I was reading in the psalm. Um, but as I read it, I realized that that wasn't my experience. I just realized I'm not actually, this is what the Bible says, but I'm not feeling like this. Um, and, okay, I'm really proud of my Photoshopping skills because I've actually taken my, my picture and I've now put it for you in steps. So as I was meditating on on just the scripture and realizing, well, that's not what I'm feeling. I was like, well, what am I feeling? And the picture that I felt that God gave me is I felt that I was actually on the other side of the stream. And what you can see there is a muddy bog, just this muddy field, and it's covered in a thicket of really like thorny brambles, like a really dense thicket of thorny brambles under this cloudy, dark sky. And on those... Thorny brambles, you'll see there's like some little red berries, these tiny little red berries. And I felt God was kind of saying to me, Well, you're on that side of the river and that's where you are. And those little red berries were, for me, represented the things in life that I was chasing after. So, you know, one of those little red berries be, might be the new car, um, one of them might be the job promotion. Um, the salary raise, the new business transaction. And what I felt was like, I was fighting through these thickets of brambles, like my feet caked in mud under these dark skies and just getting cut up by all these bramble bushes, just getting cut and shredded. And you get to that little red bramble, you know, you get your new SUV, you eat the little berry, and you know, it satisfies, it's sweet, and it satisfies for a moment, but it's not even a day or two and now suddenly you're looking for the next little red berry. Oh, and, you know, and then you're chasing off after you know, the next business deal or whatever it is and, and you know, you're just fighting through these brambles again getting cut up and everything. So yeah, I felt that that was kind of instead of living in, in God's peace I was chasing after all these worldly things and in the process getting cut up. And then if you read just the a little bit further on in psalm 23 in verse 5 it talks about the lord laying a table before me before my enemies and as i was meditating on that uh, you'll see in the next picture that i kind of drew this table in the green meadow and this was the table that the lord lays before you from your from your before your enemies and i kind of felt just saying like the lord The the Lord's table is just overabundantly, like abundantly, filled with fruit. If you look there, it's got these juicy mangoes and pineapples and watermelons and spun speck. It's just like overflowing. Um, And I felt that the fruit that the Lord lays before us—it's things like peace, it's things like joy, it's purpose, it's salvation. It's all these beautiful gifts that God gives us, Um, and they far exceed those little berries on the other side which can't satisfy um, what was funny actually later on I noticed that there was actually a few of those little berries on the table but it's kind of like you know they were, they were inconsequential I mean compared to compared to the lushness of the peace and the joy of the Lord those little berries were just like a little afterthought like a, you know, just like a nice little garnish um, yeah and I think obviously what the Lord was telling me is I had to stop chasing after the things of the world and that really I could only find true satisfaction and true joy and true peace um, in him so uh, just going back to Watchman Nee he says um, I have never met a soul who has set out to satisfy the Lord and has not been satisfied himself it is impossible our satisfaction comes unfailingly when we satisfy him first and Matthew 10, verse 39 says, whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. So I think what, we, what the Scripture is saying here to me is that, well, at the end of the day, if we're chasing after to try and find our own satisfaction in life, we will never find that satisfaction You know, we will lose our life. And it's only when we really get to the point where we say, God, I want to live my life for you. I want to store up eternal treasures in heaven. It's in actually giving up your life that you find it. So it's on that underneath side of the river, you know, when we just come and put ourselves under Christ's lordship and put our whole life under his lordship, that we will be in those green meadows experiencing just the fullness of God's love and his peace and the fruit that he has to offer. So what I want to do is, um, just as we now go forward from here, I just want to get a little bit practical. Um, I think it's one thing to say, well, we need, our work lives need to be fully submitted to Christ. But um, let's get a little bit practical and let's look at, well, what does that look like? What is a work life that is fully submitted to God? Just practically, what does that look like? And... Um, yeah, sorry. Before that, I just want to rewind. Um, I've just missed out a bit here. Um, just as we, as we start to look at this aspect of, of practically, what does uh, a work life submitted to God look like? Um, I want to read here from um, the book of Matthew again, also chapter 6. Um, Matthew chapter 6 says, Don't worry, saying, What shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. And the reason why I want to read this verse here, because as a younger Christian, I often read this verse, and I could understand kind of like mentally what this verse was talking about. Seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. But even though I could kind of mentally understand the verse, I found it really difficult to live this verse because I felt that like the daily pressures of life, especially in the working world as a young guy in the working world, I felt that like the pressures of work were absorbing so much bandwidth. I mean, I'm just you, you are so overwhelmed on a daily basis by everything you're facing in the work life. You kind of feel, well, how can I even in that environment, how can I seek God first? I'm just so busy going from crisis to crisis, trying to find solutions for stuff, you know, it just it, it make, didn't quite make sense for me from a heart point of view how to live that. Um, and I feel that over the years, God has given me a little bit of insight into, into that, um, just for me personally in my own work life. Um, so as we go forward and we just look at some practical aspects of how do we live a work life that's totally uh, just committed to God um, yeah, Hopefully I can share just a little bit of what I feel God showed me in terms of how to live out that work, that seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and the rest will be added to you. So I started by saying that the big idea is that in our work life we need to prioritize God's priorities and we need to prioritize eternity over the present. So I want to look at five practical points at how do we practically do this. How do we practically prioritize God's priorities in our workplace and how do we practically um, prioritize eternity over the present so the first one comes straight out of Paul's sermon two weeks ago on spiritual flourishing and that is that we need to prioritize God's presence and uh, this one is so so important because we cannot um, in any way shape or form honor God in our own strength You know, we are weak, we are double-minded, and in fact, our own strength is only weakness. So the only way that we can achieve anything of eternal purpose is if we do it out of the overflow of our relationship with God, if we do it out of the overflow of being in God's presence on a daily basis. Romans 12 verse 2 says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and his perfect will. And I think for me, when you talk about being in God's presence, um, it talks here about the patterns of the world. And what I find in my own life is that we are daily being bombarded from every angle with worldly ways of thinking, with these patterns of the world it refers to here in Romans. you know, Be it through the media, be it through our colleagues, be it through our friends, uh, from every angle we are being bombarded by these patterns of the world. And if we look at God's way, in God's word it says that God's wisdom is foolishness to the world. So that which is wise to God is complete foolishness to the world and vice versa. So... If we are not daily in God's presence, renewing our minds, we very quickly—and I find this for myself personally—I very quickly start conforming to the patterns of the world. That's apart from God's renewing of my mind. That's where my mind goes. Um, and for me, I really find it's—it's it's, I need to renew my mind daily. You know, if I'm not renewing my mind on a daily basis, after two, three days, I start thinking and being conformed to the patterns of this world. Um, I'm going to share with you a little bit later, um, God did uh, another powerful work in me in 2012 which I'll share a bit later but one of the consequences of that work prior to that um, experience um, my daily times of personal devotion were, were quite sporadic and infrequent Um, and and one of the outworkings of that work that God did in my life in 2012 was just bring me to a space where I just really understood again the value of spending just daily time in prayer and devotion Um, and it really was like turning a light bulb on it just had such an incredibly profound effect on my life just spending daily time renewing my mind. Um, So that's the first point. If we want to uh, prioritize God in our workplace and and flourish in our workplace, we need to prioritize God's presence. We can only flourish um, out of the overflow of our relationship with him. Then the second point, uh, love your neighbor as yourself. Um, So Paul, last week when he was preaching about relational flourishing, he spoke about this verse. Um, when Jesus was asked what's the most important commandment and he said, love, your, uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind and soul and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said all the commandments are um, fulfilled through, through these two commandments. So love your neighbor as yourself. So in our workplace, I've spoken earlier about that verse of storing up treasures in heaven. So how in, in our workplace do we store up treasures in heaven? You can, in your work, you can develop the most amazing product for mankind. You could develop the cure for cancer if you were a medical scientist. But even if you developed the cure for cancer, in and of itself, that would have no eternal impact. You could build a business empire where you could provide employment to thousands of people. In and of itself, that would have no eternal impact whatsoever. You could... um, get to the pinnacle of your career where you have great influence over whole industries, over whole nations, over politicians, in and of itself, that would have no eternal impact. Uh, You could even have an NGO where you feed people starving in, in countries with great famine. But in and of itself, that has no eternal impact. So the only thing that has any eternal impact is hearts and minds as people changed by the gospel. That is the only thing that actually has any eternal impact is people changed for eternity by the gospel. And the way that God uses us to impact people is by loving people. So when it says love, love your neighbor as yourself, the primary way that we impact people by the gospel is through loving them. And... Um, Yeah, I just want to share, uh, again, a bit of personal testimony. Um, I spoke to you earlier about the fact that, um, you know, that verse in Matthew about seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you, and how that was quite difficult for me practically to live out. Um, But in 2012, God did quite a deep work in me, which, which I felt gave me just some glimpse into how to seek first his kingdom in the workplace, and it was... Uh, we were on holiday. Um, we normally go to holiday in buy, and we've got a, a, a family holiday house there belonging to my aunt. And I picked up a book off the bookshelf, which was um, a biography uh, written about my great grandfather who was a missionary in Africa. And just in reading that biography, God did a, a really, really powerful work in me by the Holy Spirit. Uh, maybe the book was a bit inconsequential, but. Um, just the, the, the Lord used that book as a trigger to do a really deep uh, work in me. And, and it actually subsequently, um, I've realized that the change after that work that God did in me was so dramatic that I really believe it was actually a baptism in the Holy Spirit that the Lord did. And part of, part of that work that the Lord did on me was this deep sense um, that my purpose in my work was, in my, in my work environment, was to love people. That was part of the work that God did in me. And it, it was going back to work after that holiday, I had the strangest sense, this weird feeling, going to the workplace, feeling that my actual work was somewhat unimportant and that really my primary purpose was, was to love people in my work environment. And what I realized is that my relationships in the work environment up until that point had been kind of largely very transactional. So if it was a colleague, it was a transactional relationship of what do I need from that colleague. If it was an employee, again, it's a transactional relation. They need to deliver you know, whatever they've got to deliver work-wise. Um, if it was a supplier, you know, it was a transactional relationship that I need the supplier from that. If it's a customer, it was a transactional relationship that I'm just selling a product. But um, I really realized that what God was calling me to there was not these transactional relationships in the workplace, that my primary calling was in the workplace to love my neighbor as myself. And like I said, it really felt like a Holy Spirit baptism where um, just going into the workplace and just saying, God, how do you want me to love every single person that I come into contact with in the workplace? Um, And what was really, well, just, I guess this is God's amazing economy, is as I went into the workplace with the main focus to love people, my work performance just absolutely went through the roof. And actually my work itself um, just went to pretty much like another level. So yeah, it was an amazing work um, and just a a sense in me, a new sense of how do we seek first God's kingdom Uh, in the workplace. Our primary focus should be showing God's love to other people. And I think what's important about this aspect of showing God's love to other people is that we do that not just by deeds but by words as well. So when we look at, I spoke earlier about the fact of God's wisdom being contrary to the world's wisdom. Um, you know, In terms of God's wisdom of loving people, uh, God talks about service, servant leadership. Again, that's up, upside down to the world's way of thinking. Um, so we can really show God's rab- love in radical ways as we love people in ways that are completely countercultural in the workspace. Um, and like I say, it's not just by deeds. Deeds are incredibly, incredibly powerful, probably more so than words. But we do also need to love people by using words and we need to wisely use the opportunities that we have to also actually with words share the gospel to people in our work environment. Um, and that's not easy, but that's a, it's, it's an important part of, of loving people. Um, when I was, again, when I was a younger man, back in the days when I felt God was calling me to be a missionary to a lost tribe in Africa, I really, I had this, I suppose like many young people, I had this feeling like I wanted to do great things for God. I wanted to do really great things for God. And I suppose as young people, we're all ambitious Uh, And even in wanting to do great things for God, there's probably quite a lot of self in that. There's probably like, I want to do great things for God. But I felt through this, um, and especially in this time when I just felt God speaking to me about loving people, um, there's a, a quote by Mother Teresa which really spoke to me. And she said, there are no great acts, only small acts done with great love. Um, And then we see in 1 Peter 4 verse 10, it says, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful steward of God's grace in its various forms. So the gifts that God has given us is to serve other people. So again, when we talk about loving people in the work environment, a big part of loving other people is serving them with the gifts that we've been given. Um, And again, if we look at this quote by Mother Teresa, um, it's very true. I mean, there's, there's very, very few of us that are called to be Billy Grahams where we will preach and thousands will, you know, in stadiums will come to, 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 to salvation. For most of us, and I think probably even the same is true for Billy Graham, there's no great acts of love, just small acts done with great love. So to have an eternal impact for God's kingdom, to store up treasures in heaven, so much of it is just about those daily, just hundreds of small acts done with great love. Um, it can be massively impact and over your life sorry massively impactful over your life the sum total of all of those thousands of small acts done with great love can have such a huge impact uh, for God's kingdom. The third point uh, just practical point into how we flourish in our workplace is uh, the concept of working as unto the Lord. Um, So Colossians 3 verse 23 says whatever you do Work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord you are serving. So I think I want to start on this one by saying that um, sloppy, lazy, substandard work is not a good witness for God's kingdom. So part of working unto the Lord is that all of us in our workplace should give our best and we should really work with excellence. So yes, our primary purpose is to love people, I believe, in the workplace. That's our primary purpose, but that doesn't mean that we can be sloppy in our work because that is not a good witness um, for the Lord. Um, I spoke earlier about the business that I worked in in Zim, um, like I say, it was a big business. We were about 20 uh, guys on the management team. And of those 20 guys, uh, there were four of us that were Christians so myself and three other guys. Um, and I can't speak for myself, but for the other three guys, their work was an incredible witness to the Lord. You know, if you looked at the, the divisions that they ran, um, you know, their work was, I would say, of their colleagues, those three guys probably delivered some of the most, you know, the highest standards of, of, of work and performance. Uh, So just a great witness. So yeah, we need to work with excellence if we want to be a witness for the Lord. Um, But it's not excellence for ourselves to gain benefit for ourselves. It's excellence, working with excellence to the glory of God. But I also think that this aspect of um, working as unto the Lord, you know, where it says that it's not... um, where it says that it's the Lord that we are serving. So it's not necessarily ultimately that we're serving our employer. It's the Lord we're serving. Um, I think it can also be really helpful, uh, particularly if you work for an incredibly difficult employer or a difficult boss who doesn't appreciate you. Or, I mean, often we find ourselves having to do work which we find is really unstimulating and it's just really uh, a drudgery. So I think all of us will find ourselves in, in periods like that. And I think especially in those times... Um, I find it really encouraging to remember that actually it's the Lord we're serving. So when you're working for a difficult person who doesn't appreciate you, is hard to work for, remember, you're not working for that person, you're working for the Lord. And when you're doing a, a mundane, really soul-destroyingly boring job, remember that's the Lord that you're working for and work to his glory. So I find that quite helpful. Okay, the next practical point in terms of um, working... Um, flourishing in, in, in the business space and working to, to God's glory um, point number four is we need to model integrity in business and in the same way or in our workplace so in the same way that sloppy lazy work doesn't honor the Lord I believe in the same way dishonest or illegal business practices also really are not a witness to the Lord at all and I think for a lot of us and, and, and this is my personal experience um, you know, you all know the story about that science experiment where if you take a frog and you put it in cold water and you heat up the water, the frog will not realize that the water's getting warmer and then the frog will ultimately boil to death. Whereas if you take a frog and you put it in boiling water, it'll immediately jump out. And I think when it comes to dishonest business practices, I feel for myself and maybe for a lot of us, I feel I think we're a bit like frogs in, that have been put into cold water and the temperature's slowly been rising. And I think a lot of us, Unethical business practices have become so common, I think, that we've become blind to it that we actually often don't realise that a lot of the stuff that's happening in the business world is not cool. Um, I mean, let me just try and use a a, a simple example. Um, You are doing a business transaction with another company. Um, Let's say you might be selling an asset or maybe part of a business. Um, and you know that there is an aspect of that asset or business that you're selling which is not actually, it's not good, it's broken, it's, it's not doing well. Uh, and in that sales transaction, you say nothing to the buyer. You, know, you just keep quiet about it. You sell all the good things about whatever you're selling, but the bad stuff, you just keep quiet about it. And a lot of people will say, well, that's not dishonest. I'm not lying. I'm just being economic with the truth. You know, we'll just, we'll just keep quiet about that stuff. Um, and it's that kind of thing, you know. A lot of people say, well, oh, that's business. You know, that's how you do business. But I, leave, I believe as Christians, we need to be above reproach when it comes to the way we do business um, in terms of honesty. Um, and I think it's not just for business owners. I think, likewise, and I found this in my career over the years as an employee. I've often found myself in a position, um, and especially as a younger employee, I found it quite difficult because when you're like a little junior gobby, um, you know, you haven't got a lot of, uh, how can I say, influence or power. Uh, And I found it particularly difficult also because as a young guy in business, you're ambitious and you want to, you know, move forward. So if my boss was asking me to be part of a business transaction that I felt was unethical, it was quite hard because A, it's hard to stand up against your boss um, because A, he's your boss and B, because you want to actually move forward in your career. But um, yeah, I want to encourage you in your workplace, if, if your boss is asking you to be par- any part of a transaction or any kind of business practice that's not ethical, I really want to encourage you to, to actually stand up and to yeah, stand up against it in a very humble nice way and I must say more often than not um, in fact almost every occasion if I'd spoken to my boss and said I'm not comfortable with what we're doing because of x y z in my case in most instances the boss had said I get you okay we're not going to go that direction so you know there's there's, there's there's often an honor in that but sometimes and if I look at like my brother-in-law Ali's um, sister's husband, um, he was general manager of a position where he was, uh, felt that they were busy with um, unethical business practices. Um, so he spoke to the shareholder, said he wasn't comfortable with it and they fired him. So, you know, sometimes, yeah, sometimes it can be tough. Um, but I want to encourage you to, to stand up for what's right. It's not a good witness, unethical business practices. And likewise, it might not be popular what I'm saying now, but I think the same comes to paying our taxes. I think tax evasions become like a national sport in South Africa. And, um, you know, Jesus, when he was asked about paying tax, um, he said, pay unto Caesars, what is due to Caesar. And when you read in the Bible, when it speaks about government, it says that you are to uh, honor the government and you are to be obedient to the government. So the laws of our country say that we should pay tax. Jesus said, pay unto Caesar, what is due to Caesar. So again, I want to encourage you uh, to be honest about paying your taxes. Sure, there are some legal ways of paying less tax. That's fine. I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about tax evasion. Um, so yeah, I think that also, again, that's, that's to me, it it's all speaks to our witness. Um, so we need to model integrity. Um, let's read together 1 Timothy 6 verse 9. It says, Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of e- evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. or griefs. And yeah, I think this is so true and, and I believe that I've seen a lot of Christian businessmen who have fallen into this trap who have themselves with many griefs um, because of the desire to get rich or to um, go forward in the business world. Um, so at the end of the day, you're going to be the one who comes out in the short end of the straw um, if if we're not doing business in, in a way of integrity um, that honors the Lord. And then the final point um, the fifth point, in terms of just a practical tip, and how do we how do we um, honour God in, in, in the way that we work? Don't sacrifice your family or God's eternal mission on the altar of work. And uh, what I mean by this is that um, work can often uh, suck up a huge amount of our time and energy if we let it. Um, and I'm So what I'm talking about here is the tendency towards being a workaholic and actually just working, overworking and working too much. So don't get me wrong, I'm not talking about, for all of us, there will be times when you need to work overtime, there will be times when you need to work weekends. I'm not talking about those busy seasons, that's all good and well. What I'm talking about here is a a pattern in life where day after day, week after week, month after month, you're working 14-hour days, you're working Saturdays, you're working Sundays, whatever it might be, it's that tendency to overwork. And I'm sure that you've seen it, but I've seen it. A lot of businessmen who have got to sort of my stage in life where they have been workaholics for many, many years and they've neglected their wives, they've they've neglected their family. Um, And I've seen many businessmen who end up in divorce, sometimes on their second or third wife, Uh, And I've seen many businessmen who also who have ended up estranged from their children just because they have put all their effort into their work and they've neglected their family. Um, So you need to find that, um, you need to put those boundaries in place. Uh, And not just that, but when we talk about um, God's eternal mission, likewise I see many businessmen who are so busy in their work life that they don't make time for, for God in their life. There's no time for personal times of devotional or worship because you're working late, you're waking up early, you're tired, you've got no time to spend in the word and prayer. Um, You're so busy that you're not in fellowship. Um, You know, by the time Sunday comes, you've been working so hard that you actually just want to sleep in whatever it is. Um, But you end up neglecting uh, your time with the Lord. So yeah, I just really want to encourage you to, if, if you let it, work will suck up all of your time and energy. Um, so put those boundaries in place, um, and sometimes it's difficult, because especially in some work environments, uh, I mean, the world often honors workalism, you know. If you've worked a, 17, a 70-hour week, you're like, yes, I'm the man. Um, you know, so the, work, uh, the, the world actually will celebrate workalism, but um, so sometimes it be quite difficult, especially in some work environments where you're encouraged to work those extra hours. But I want to encourage you, put those boundaries in place and uh, Just keep, yeah, make sure you make time for your family and for for the Lord's kingdom and for what's important. So in closing, um, I just want to say in closing that Satan leads us to believe that we can find ultimate satisfaction in our work. I think it's one of the greatest lies of Satan is that you feel that if you're successful in your career or in your work that you will find ultimate satisfaction in your work. And I want to tell you that it's not true. You cannot find satisfaction or ultimate satisfaction through your work. It's always going to disappoint you. Um, The only place that we can truly find peace and satisfaction is in Christ, in God, in him. That's the only place where true satisfaction can be found. So I want to just close. I know we're a few minutes over time, um, but I want to close by just briefly uh, praying for you. Um, so if any, any of you here, if there's any aspect of the message today where you felt convicted that the Lord wants to bring some change in your work life, if you felt convicted in any way, I want to encourage you to stand, and some of you might have to make changes in your life, but as a first stage of obedience, I want you to stand and I just want to pray for you. Um, and not just those people who are working, but um, even students, students who are going to work in future, if you felt Maybe for your future work, um, just a, a challenge that God, you know, something that God's put on your heart for work. I want you to stand um, and I want to pray for us. Great, let's pray. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you um, that you are the one who brings true peace. Uh, In our lives, that you bring true satisfaction, that you bring true grace and love, Lord. Thank you that you are the source of flourishing, the source of true life. So I want to pray, Lord, for every person who's standing here, Lord, this morning, for every person that you've placed on their heart, that there's some aspect of their work life that they need to maybe make some changes, Lord, uh, to align it, Lord, with your eternal purpose for their lives and for your kingdom, Lord. So I want to pray for every person standing today. Whatever it is that you've put on their heart, Lord, that they need to change in their work life, I want to pray that by your Holy Spirit that you will strengthen them to be obedient to that, Lord. I want to pray, Lord, that you will strengthen them to, in their workplaces, in their work life, Lord, to uh, work in a way that uh, stores up treasures for your eternal kingdom and to work in a way that brings glory to your name, Lord. Lord, would you strengthen them? We pray that for every one of us standing, that we would not just be hearers of your word, that we would be doers of your word. I pray, Lord, that we would be obedient to what it is today that you've called us to. We thank you, Lord. Amen.